morning. Want to turn with us? We'll be in the book of Jeremiah, chapter number ten. Want to read some verses here and uh, try to deal with what the Lord has put on our heart to deal with, and I trust that you'll pray for us. I'm very much aware that I can't do anything without the Lord's help, and I need Him this morning, and we need Him in our midst, and trust that He will help us as we look into the Word of God, and uh, had this thought on my heart for several days, and uh, just felt like uh, that I knew, matter of fact, I, I got home after the service on Wednesday night, the Lord began to deal with my heart about this particular verse, and we're going to read several verses this morning, uh, but I want to just deal with one, and uh, put this on my heart after Wednesday night, and then dealt with my heart through the week, didn't really feel like it came together too much until last night, and then this morning the Lord began to work in it, and and I'm just going to try my best to be obedient to Him. It's a little different uh, for me this morning, uh, but I want to be obedient to the Lord. I, I kind of feel... Uh, thought about during the Sunday school hour, uh, as uh, Brother Tim was talking about uh, Paul mentioning the grace of God, and I feel kind of like Paul in that scripture, and uh, some things are difficult to deal with, uh, but this is where the Lord wants us to be, and so I trust that He'll help us, and that you'll pray for us, and that the scripture will be received this morning from the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 10, let's stand together out of reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God, Jeremiah chapter 10, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Hear ye the word of the Lord, the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them, for the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither also is it in them to do good. For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. Who would not fear thee, O King of nations? For to thee doth it appertain. For as much as among all the wise men of the nations, and in all their kingdoms there is none like unto thee. They are altogether brutish and foolish. The stock is a doctrine of vanities. Silver spread into plates is brought from Tarsus. Gold from Euphaz, the work of the workmen, and the hands of the founder. Blue and purple is their clothing. They are all the work of cunning men. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting King. At His wrath the earth shall tremble, and the nation shall not be able to abide His indignation. Thus shall you say unto them, The gods that have not made the heavens and the earth, even they perish from the earth and from under these heavens. He hath made the earth by his power. He hath established the world by his wisdom, and hath stretched out the heavens by his discretion. When he uttereth his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens. He causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings with rain, bringeth forth the wind out of his treasures. Every man is brutish in his knowledge. Every founder is confounded by the graven image. For his molten image is falsehood. There is no breath in them. They are vanity and the work of errors. In the time of their visitation, they shall perish. The portion of Jacob is not like them. For he is the former of all things, and Israel is the rod of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. 
We read these verses here in Jeremiah chapter 10. We read several verses this morning. And uh, we know a little bit about Jeremiah and about Jeremiah's day. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. Jeremiah deals with a lot of rebellion among the people of God. Jeremiah lived in a day of apostasy. In a day of idolatry among God's people. Here in the scripture, I think in Jeremiah chapter 10, if you study the context and the history of the people of God, Jeremiah's writing about the time of the Babylonian captivity. Isaiah prophesied about it before it ever happened in Jeremiah's day. You and I understand that the Lord spoke to Jeremiah when he called him to preach and gave him a message told him to preach, and yet told him that they would not hear the message. But he told them to preach anyway for their judgment. And so here Jeremiah is instructing the people of God under the leadership of God to beware about the time that they are among the heathen. And he makes this statement in verse number 2 is where my heart is and I want you to pray for me that the Lord will help me. In verse number 2 he said, Thus saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen. That's what I want to preach on this morning. Learn not the way of the heathen. Now there are a lot of people I have heard this scripture preached on. I have heard it misapplied. I have heard it preached in an attitude and an atmosphere that is not pleasing to the sight of God and I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying this morning that it's the will of God. He's dealt with my heart about preaching this and I'm going to try my best by His help to preach what He's put on my heart with the right attitude and the right atmosphere this morning. But the Word of God says to the people of God to learn not the way of the heathen. Now there are many people that would uh, throw up a red flag or a roadblock right off the start and say, well, uh, this is Old Testament Scripture and they're not heathens in this day. Uh, Can I remind you or say to you this morning that the word heathen is not just translated in your King James Bible and uh, applied to the word heathen, but it also uh, is translated as the word nations. It's the same word that's used when the people of God had decided in Samuel's day that they wanted a king to rule over them. And they said that we might be like all other nations. In other words, the people of God said we don't want to be a separate people. We don't want to be a different people. We don't want to stand out from everybody else. But we want to be like all other nations. And that's what Jeremiah is saying here. You are of the people of God. The Babylonian captivity was ordained of God. It was prophesied by God, not for their destruction and not to bring them into idolatry, but to show them, as Jeremiah has preached to them, that there is no power, there is no benefit, there is no good that can be obtained by the words of men's hands and by serving idol gods. And so Jeremiah preaches to them whether they hear or not that it is the will of God that they learn not the way of the heathen. I think it goes without saying that if they're not even supposed to learn them then it is the will of God for them not to live like the heathen. For them not to apply the ways of the heathen or to abide by the ways of the heathen. But God said, don't even learn them. Don't study them. Don't try to figure them out. Don't try to see if there's a little good in them or a little bad in them. He said, don't learn at all. Don't focus on it. Don't put your mind to the way of the heathen. It was a great snare for the people of God to conform. 
It was a great snare in Jeremiah's day for them to want to fit in. They've been carried away from their homeland. Now they're dwelling in a land that's not their own. They're strangers there. And all of this should be ringing bells in our heart for us to understand we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And the Lord said for us to come out from among them. We can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I understand in that language and the context of the Scripture, he's talking about not being unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I think there's more to apply there than just marriage. I think there are other ways that the people of God should not be yoked together with unbelievers. He said what fellowship hath light with darkness or what fellowship hath God with Belial or with idols, the people of God with that works of idols. He said come out from among them and be a separate people and touch not the unclean thing. Now you say that sounds like Old Testament language. It was Old Testament language, but Paul preached it under the Corinthian church. The Gentiles had told them that it was the will of God for them to come out from among the idols and the unclean thing in the New Testament church age. That's amazing, ain't it? Paul wasn't preaching the Jews, he was preaching the Gentiles. Uh, many people read this scripture in Jeremiah, and I'm not preaching uh, mean or arrogant this morning, I'm preaching from my heart, uh, but there's great offense to this scripture. People uh, want to say, well, that was written to Jews. Well, let's just take 2 Corinthians. It was written to Gentiles that we uh, that are saved ought to be a different people separate from the world. It's not the will of God that we conform. Romans chapter 12 tells us that. That we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. How are we going to do that? Be not conformed, verse number two, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's not the will of God for us to conform to this world. The word conform means to follow the pattern or to mimic their ways. And that's what Jeremiah is preaching to the people of God. It matters not Old Testament or New. It can be applied to us. The people of God are being admonished not to learn of the ways of those who are not the people of God. The word heathen is a word that we don't use very much anymore. And so when people say that we're learning heathen ways, they have trouble understanding what Jeremiah is saying is that you're the people of God, they are not the people of God, and so as the people of God, you should live and act and walk and talk as such and not live and walk and act and talk as they do. And so what I'm preaching this morning is for us as the people of God that it's the will of God for us not to learn the ways of the heathen. Not to learn the ways of the world. Not to conform to that of the unbeliever's lifestyle. But we are living in a day when it is becoming prominent in the church world, in the lives of the people of God, that the ways of the heathen, the ways of the world, the ways of the unsaved are becoming part of everyday saved people's lives. And if you read in the Bible, now I'm going to preach from the Bible. I've heard this scripture taken and preachers run with it and preach not from the Bible. I'm not going to preach from the newspaper. I'm not going to preach on common events or present events. They may be mentioned, but it'll be because they're referenced in the Bible. Let's take it from the Bible. It's my authority is not the final authority and neither is yours. This is the final authority for all matters of faith and practice in our everyday life. It was mentioned this morning in Sunday school, not by coincidence, but isn't it amazing how much there is in the New Testament about our practical living in everyday life and why should we do that? Why is it if our living doesn't save us and it does it? and our living doesn't keep us and it doesn't our living doesn't get us to heaven but we are called to be lights Peter said in a crooked and perverse generation we are to shine as bright lights in the world there's to be a difference about us than there is in the world our light cannot shine if we are participated in the unfruitful works of darkness that's a work from the word of God And so he says, learn not 
the way of the heathen. Matt, we look in the Word of God in the Old Testament, and I'll get to the New Testament in just a minute. But if we look in the Word of God in the Old Testament, there was a time in the lives of the people of God, if you go to Second Kings chapter 17, I believe it is, you'll read this statement that they began to secretly do those things that were wrong in the sight of God. And that's where it all starts with the people of God when we begin playing behind the scenes and doing those things secretly that are wrong in the eyes of God. And then the Bible uses the word snare in the book of Ezra. It said it became a snare unto them. They got caught up in it. They became entrapped in the way of the heathen. It just started off as secretly. It started off behind closed doors. It started off in their private life. And then it became a snare unto them. And then by verse 15 of 2 Kings chapter 17, they are openly, outwardly rejecting of the rules and the regulations and the commandments of God and they are going after the abominations of the heathen. And by the way, any time in the Word of God that you read about heathen, it's always their works are always classified as an abomination in the sight of God. He uses the word filthiness how to describe the ways of the heathen. In the book of Ezekiel, he uses the word whoredoms to describe the ways of the heathen. They are nothing positive in the word of God about the ways of the heathen. And God said for us, as the people of God, as His people, as His peculiar possession, that we are not to go or learn of the ways of the heathen. So if we're not to go the way of the heathen, if we're not to learn their ways, what does the Bible say is their way? What are the ways of the heathen? I have four things that God put on my heart, I believe, with all my heart. I'm going to preach them as God will help me and then we'll be done. What are, what does the Bible say about the ways of the heathen? Number one, the Bible says they are superstitious. Now, if we go to the book of Psalms, we have an understanding in our modern day about what superstitious or being superstitious means. And we've heard it all our life about superstitions and, and all these things. But if we go to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 2, and verse number 1, the Bible, the, Bible, the psalmist says it like this, the heathen rage. And that has to do with their superstition. You say, what does that mean, preacher? It means that they are, if you look up that word rage in the Hebrew, in its original, it means that they are continuously in uproar. There is no peace. There is no contentment. There is no satisfaction. But they are constantly in an uproar. They are constantly in tumult is what the word means. You say, well, what does that have to do with superstition? Well, let's look in the Scripture. Let's look at our text. It does say it, the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. What does that mean? That means today the heathen get up and they go outside looking for changes in their little g-gods. And if their gods change, then it means destruction and devastation upon them. And they are constantly in tumult. They are constantly in worry, in fret, in fear, in anxiety, in trouble. Because there is no constancy about their gods. And the Lord said, our God is not that way. And the Bible said, there's no variableness with Him, neither shadow of turning. Even in our darkest day, aren't you glad that God is still the same? He told them in the book of Malachi, before the 400 years of silence in the intertestament period, He said, remind them, I am the Lord and I change not. And it's because of who I am that ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. See, the heathen, they're so superstitious. They're all the time wanting something new. That's why when Paul stepped off the shore at Athens and he began to observe 
all their customs and all their idol worship. And they had there an order with the inscription to the unknown God because they were so superstitious that they were afraid maybe they would forget one and it would cause wrath or judgment upon them. And so it's constant turmoil and constant unrest and constant absence of peace. And Paul said, He who you ignorantly worship, I will declare him unto you. And so Paul preached to them and began at creation and walked all the way through the crucifixion of the burial and the resurrection and the power of God through the gospel of grace and the Bible said they wanted to hear because it was something new we're living in a day today in the church world that they are constantly searching for something new give us something new they're not satisfied with what they have they're not satisfied with the old way they're not sat there just like Jeremiah's day Jeremiah 6 16 and Jeremiah said stand in the way and see and seek the old path wherein's a good way you'll find rest for your soul walk therein but the Bible said but they said we shall not walk therein you say why is that because they were following the way of the heathen and looking for something new And that's what superstition does. It brings about a desire for something new. If we look at a God and deem that because of what we understand about that God, that it means judgment and wrath upon us, if somebody else can come in and bring a positive outlook on that God, we would drop what we think and go with what they say because we're always looking for something new. And so the Bible said that we're not supposed to learn the way of the heathen. But we're living in a church world today where they all want something new. But I'm reminded this morning, I don't know who originally said it, but I know the man of God that I heard was Brother Hanley Milby say, everything new's not true and everything true's not new. He said, just stick with the old stuff. It'll work every time. But we're living in a day where they want something new. But the new stuff's not been proven. God never has formed something new. He didn't go to plan B in the Garden of Eden when Adam sinned. Calvary was not an afterthought. A Calvary was not a reaction. God didn't have to react when man became so wicked in Genesis 6 that he had to destroy the earth. But God knew before he ever made man what would happen in Noah's day. God didn't have to react when it got so bad in Elijah's day that Elijah said, I'm alone. But God knew before that day come what he would need to do. God's always been faithful. God's always been true. And we don't need no superstition. Oh, we don't need anything new. Oh, we just need to stick with the old stuff. It'll work in our day. And so they were superstitious. But then not only were they superstitious, and I hope maybe this is making sense and helping somebody this morning, but the Bible said they served idols. Now we may, again, we get defensive in our day. And we say, now, preacher, we don't have some carved statue set up on the mantle in our living room. And we don't bow down to it and worship it. Oh, but we have idols in our day to day. And I'm going to tell you something. And get way down where the rubber meets the road. And where not a lot of people like to hear. But I'm going to tell you. Uh, there are a lot of church going, so-called church uh, going folks that are going to walk in a building uh, this morning and they're going to worship their idols uh, and they're going to idolize the building. Uh, they're going to idolize what goes on in the building. Uh, and I'm not talking about the truth of the Word of God. Uh, but I'm talking about a bunch of games uh, and a bunch of gimmicks and entertainment and they idolize and appeals. Uh, you know why the heathen served idols? Uh, because they appealed to their flesh. Uh, they could make them say or mean or do anything their flesh wanted and so their gods little g bent to their will but we don't serve a God this morning that bends to our will but he crushes our will and bends us to fit his will and that's why folks don't want to serve God 
They want to serve their idols. And they can bend them to their will. They don't want any preaching of the gospel. They'll get them a praise and a worship team and they'll bend it. God help us this morning. I didn't know I was going to say all that. But I'm there and feel like I ought to. But they'll get them some person, a man or a woman, to stand up on the stage and claim that they have the authority of God to lead them in worship. I got news for you this morning. I'm not qualified and neither is any other man or woman to lead anybody into worship. We have a worship leader. His name's the Holy Ghost. He's the only one that can lead it. He's the only one that can produce it. No man's been given that authority. Worship has nothing to do with man. Had everything to do with God. It's an expression of our awe and our reverence of Him. And it must be produced by Him in us. But you see, when they when they can have somebody, I'm going to tell you why that the religious world today wants to put the, the works and the practices and the power in the hands of man is because they can dictate what the results are when it's in their hands. They can have all the success that they want to have. They can draw all the crowds and move all the people and get a turnout in the altar and do whatever that they do with them and report about their great success and it's nothing more than the way of the heathen. I believe that's right. I believe the Bible teaches that. And you, I mean, we might back up a little bit and say, hold on preacher, you're getting a little bit deep. But any God, anybody that worships anything other than the God of this Bible in the way he says that he must be worshipped and he said it's in spirit and in truth. And anybody that does any otherwise is worshipping an idol. We got a whole lot of, there's a ditch on both sides. <coughs> we got a group on this side that they got all the truth. They got all their eyes, cross all their T's. Dress right, talk right, carry the right Bible. They got all that right, but they got no spirit about them. It's just formalism. It's dead religion. It's routine. And I'm telling you this morning, there are a lot of people that want to major on dead religion and dead doctrine. Hey, there's some things in here you and I that may disagree on, but that's not the main things. There are some main things, and we better keep them as the main things at the forefront. And God help us to have some spirit about us when we come into the house of God I have been in the places where they have all truth and no spirit and it's like preaching with cotton in your mouth there's no liberty there can't be the Bible said there has to be the spirit of God for there to be liberty and I want liberty I want God to be in our midst I'm not talking about throwing out the truth we can't do that either there's a group on the other side they want all spirit but they ain't got no truth about them They don't know what they believe. They believe one thing today and another thing tomorrow. Let somebody get up today and preach or teach a certain doctrine. Then let somebody else get up the next Sunday Sunday and go completely against what the last Sunday was. And they'll shout and amen both of them. And they have no idea about the truth. And they got a spirit. But it's not the spirit. I know that ain't popular. I'm going to tell you, he don't put his spirit on anything that contradicts this Bible. And if there's not a mixture of truth and spirit, it cannot be true worship. Jesus told the woman at the well, the Father is seeking for true worshipers, and it must be in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit, is what Jesus said. And they that worship Him must worship in spirit. That is the inner part of us. It's not Worship is not so much. We put a lot of emphasis. And I know we're finite creatures. We are tangible beings. We want to see things. We put so much emphasis on our outer man. The outer man, that he may be affected by worship, but worship does not originate in the outer man. It originates in the inner man. And then when the inner man gets so overwhelmed by who God is and what He's done, the outer man will be affected by what God has done in the inner man. 
But we live in a day today where they go to their building, their house of worship, their church, whatever most people take of the name church off. They don't even want to be associated with the church and that should be a red flag to us first off. But they go in and everything they do is a direct result and originates in the outer man and that's not true worship. That's the way of the heathen. Doing what feels good. That is the predominant doctrine. If you've not stepped back, and I'm not glorifying us, I'm very thankful for what we have here at Gospel Way, but if you've not stepped back and looked a little bit at what's going on in the religious world of our day, the predominant doctrine that's being preached above all others is do whatever makes you feel good. Believe in something. If it makes you feel good, it must be right. Just keep whatever part of the commandment you want. If you keep it good enough, it must mean you're right. That's the way of the heathen. That's bending the God that they worship to fit the will and the desires of man. And God said, don't participate in it. But not only not participate, He said, don't even learn it. Don't get accustomed to it. Don't associate yourselves with it. Don't abide with it. Don't let it go by. Don't dwell with it. I, I understand. And people want to talk about, well, let's go out there and fix them. Let's go out there and have a discussion. Let's try to get... Hey, you're not probably not going to do any good. It's going to take the God of the Bible opening their eyes. I understand where to be alive. But you can't go out there and shove all this up down somebody's throat. It's going to take a work of God to bring them to light. That's right. Just like Paul when he landed on that shore over yonder. He knew that island was called Melita. There's a barbarous people, a heathen people. There they kindled a fire and Paul didn't stand up and begin to preach the gospel down and shove it down their throat. You won't read anywhere in this Bible where Paul did that. Oh, he got sharp sometimes and he got rough sometimes, but he understood that what was going on was causing division in the church and it had to be dealt with. But Paul just lived his life. Paul did his best. Paul went and got the wood. The viper came out. Paul didn't fall down and say, oh God, I know that you're able to take the venom out and make me live. Uh, Paul just shook it off in the fire and the people watched Paul and it changed their minds. You say, what changed their minds? What God did, not what Paul did changed their minds. And I'm going to tell you this morning, what we do is not necessarily, I understand we got to live, I understand all that, uh, but it's going to be what God does through us that changes their minds. And so they're superstitious. They serve idols. But then i got two more and I'll be done. What about their sin? The Bible's very explicit, very detailed about the sins that they partake of. Their sins in the Word of God, if we look in the Word of God, are sins that are encompassed. They are all the sin that's detailed about, about heathens, about those that partake in idol worship are always sins that deal with immorality. They have nakedness and perversion that goes on among the heathen. If you study it, and I'm not going to get into all of it this morning because I don't feel like I need to. I don't feel like the Lord wants me to. I understand there are children in the congregation, but there are things that if you study the idol worshipers and the heathens are the things that we turn off today, the things that are going on in the streets of our nation are the same things that were being participated and practiced in by the heathens of the Bible. It was all immorality. Idol worship, you mark it down. If you don't hear anything else of what I say this morning, I want you to hear this. And if you make notes, make a note. Idol worship and nakedness always goes together. Always. They're always perverse in their dress. They're always perverse in their speech. They're always perverse in their actions. It all goes, it all circles around idol worship. 
There were groups of them. You can study it for yourself in the Word of God where men would dress up like women and women would dress up like men and we're seeing it go on in our world today. You say, what's happening, preacher? They are following the ways of the heathen. That's right. And these idols, they claimed would require them and ask of them to participate in these open sins. And we back up real quick and say, hold it, preacher. Uh, we're not participating in, in immorality of that way, of perversion of that way. But I am going to tell you, and I know it's a touchy subject, and I feel like the Lord wants me to say it, that uh, we're living in a day uh, where nakedness has crept in to the church of God. I know it's right. I know it's a touchy subject. And I know people don't want to hear it. But I have preached in places where I was afraid to look up before I went to the pulpit. I have preached in places where young ladies would walk by or to go to the stage to sing and I could not look up. You say, what's happening? We are learning and we're teaching our children the way of the heathen. If I still read my Bible right, controversial or not, it's still the Word of God. If I read my Bible right, that women and men, we get off on women a whole lot, but men fall in the category too. We're supposed to dress in modest apparel. And modesty, I'm going to tell you why that so many people, Lord help me this morning. I'm going to tell you why so many people get upset when the preacher preaches about modesty. It's because majority of the time it's never dealt with in its entirety in the Scripture, number one. And number two, of the way of the heathen has come in the church so much that we get offended when the preacher gets on something that we or our family is guilty of. I'm going to tell you what modesty has, and I'm not saying I'm the foremost authority, but I've grown a little bit over the years. There used to be a time to my shame, and I'm just confessing, it said confession is good, confess your faults one to another. There was a time in my ministry that if something wasn't right in that area in the church, I'd get up the next service, and whether it was of God or not, I'd jump all over it, and it did more damage than it ever did good. Now I'm going to tell you why most people don't want preachers to preach on modesty is because they've heard it preached 95 or more percent of the time out of a wrong attitude and a wrong spirit than they have the 5% or less of the time that they've heard it preached with a spirit of love and compassion and a heart for the betterment of the people of God. I believe that's right. And I have sat under both sides. And I have seen the damage. I have watched folks bow their heads. And not because God was convicting them. And not because the Holy Spirit was dealing with them. But because the attitude and the arrogance coming across the pulpit was so strong they couldn't do anything else but bow their head. And I've heard the same preachers that were preaching out of arrogance and from a wrong attitude call out the ones that bowed their head. And it just made it much worse in the service and I tell you what it does it turns off people when the man of God has a burden from God how to really deal with those things that others have dealt with in their own attitude and I'm not perfect I know I'm not and I've had times in my past and it'll only be by the grace of God that I won't have any more in my future. But I'm determined not to preach from the wrong attitude. And if I feel a wrong attitude coming up in me, I'll hush, close my Bible, and sit down and we'll go to the house. It's not in me to do that. It's not in me. I've seen the damage. I've seen young ladies go out of the church house and never want to come back again because of what so-called preachers have said while they're behind the pulpit. I know it's getting touchy this morning. I know that it's just us, and I'm just preaching my heart to you, but it's in this Bible that we're to dress modesty, and modesty, and modestly, and modesty begins in the heart. It is not an exterior work that works its way in. It's an interior work that works its way out. Modesty begins in attitude and when the attitude gets right then the apparel will be affected. That's right. That is right. I know that's right. 
If you look up the word modest in the Bible, the, the, the part about apparel is the last part of the definition. The first part of the definition means that we are shamefaced, that we have, uh, that we are sober, that we have shame, uh, that we're not forward, that we're not bold. Uh, and in this book right here, that is not the way uh, that the people of God are supposed to express themselves. Uh, that we're to dress and act and walk and talk in a modest way. And I could preach some things and say some things. But I'm not going to because I don't feel led to. And people call me weak for not, but I'm going to follow the Lord. I let God deal with you about what you feel, what He feels for you is modesty. But I'm going to tell you that modesty is not just something that we put on and we are in the church house. But women and men ought to be just as modest on Monday morning at work, at home, at school, wherever they are, as they are on Sunday at the house of God. That's right. Women or men, neither one should ever desire to dress in a way that would attract the opposite gender. That's not the way that God set it up to be. It is right. I know it's going to get quiet, but I know I'm right. I know I'm right. The Bible said that the heathen, if we're studying this morning, looking at the Word of God, for us not to learn their way, it was their way to not be modest. It was their way to strip off, to reveal themselves one to another. And that's what's going on in the church house today. People say it's not essential the way you dress. It is according to the Word of God. I've heard so-called churches say it's not essential the way you dress. It is. This Bible would not address it if it was not essential. It's part of our light in this dark world we're living in. But then I get off of that and maybe get you all back just a minute and then we'll be done. It's not just about their superstition. It's not just about that they serve idols. It's not just about their sin in their immorality and their nakedness and their perverseness. But here's where the Lord really, 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 really burdened my heart. If you study idol worshipers and the way of the heathen in the Word of God, they sacrificed their children. You read in the Word of God where it will make a statement like this. They made their sons pass through the fire. And there'll be a statement after that, either one of two most of the time, in the valley of Hinnom or after the order of Molech. You say, what was going on, preacher? They were worshiping a false god. And their false god, they believed, told them that for them to gain favor... With their God, they had to give up and sacrifice their children. Now there are some that are on the fence as whether or not their children passing through the fire literally meant that they burned up or not. And they can make that argument all they want to. But I will say this, regardless of which side is right, if you pass through the fire, whether you burn up or not, you're going to get burned. And it's going to leave you with permanent scars the rest of your life. And there are other scriptures that lead us to believe it was not just a passing through the fire. Maybe some of it was. Maybe some of it was just that they got burned and they got scarred. That's bad enough. But there were some scriptures that tell us that one king in particular of Israel whose name was Manasseh said that he followed the abominations of the heathen and he burned his children in the valley. That's what the Bible says. 2 Chronicles 26, I believe it is. You say, preacher, we are not lighting the fire this morning or tomorrow and putting our children through the fire and burning them. But I'm going to tell you something. What we are doing is putting our children in situations that they don't belong that will have detrimental consequences to them for the rest of their life. 
I was reading and I didn't feel like I need to get into much. I just told the Lord whatever I read. I didn't write nothing down. I said, Lord, whatever you want me to say, just bring it back to me. And I was reading about one specific way of this, that order of Molech. It says that the priests, whatever they called themselves of that order, uh, would convince the people, the parents, the fathers, would allow their sons to pass through the fire. And it said that they would have drums and cymbals and the priests would command them to play so loud that drown out the screams of their children so that the fathers wouldn't change their minds because of what damage was being done to their kids and I'm telling you in this wicked world today there's so much noise and so much drowning out of the results that are happening to the children of the people of God being put in circumstances that they don't belong and parents, men and women, mamas and daddies are sacrificing the well-being of their children in this day after the ways of the heathen it is right we take our little girls and I told the Lord I'd only say what he brought to my heart we take our little girls and we paint them up and we drop them off at the movie theater or wherever they are by themselves and we go back home and say we'll come pick you up and we wonder why our children are suffering the way they're suffering but we are putting them in strange fires in circumstances they do not belong. It's scarring them for the rest of their life. And there's two sides to that. We can do that side or we can be like the other side and deny that there's any bad and nothing could ever happen to our children and that side is almost as bad as the other side. We must live in reality. God never called us to stick our head in the sand. God never called us, and I, I use the word very reverently because God only used it a certain amount of times that God didn't call us to be fools about this thing. We have to understand the heathen are out there. The world is out there. The peers are out there. There's pressure upon them. And God's given us the responsibility to try to alleviate as much of that pressure as we can. (coughs) And not put them in situations. And I'm going to tell you what the devil can do. He can do the same thing that them priests did that I was reading about. He can make all the commotion And He can take the hecticness and the busyness of our life and get us so preoccupied. I have seen it. I deal with kids every day. And I have stepped back at times and wondered how in the world that parents could not see what they're doing to their children. And the Holy Ghost burned my heart last night and He spoke to me and said the same thing that went on in that day is going on today. The busyness, the hecticness, the distractions of life are drowning out the cries of our children from the fire. God help us. I feel a great responsibility. I saw somebody in... It was mentioned this morning about social media and I know I'm not a huge proponent of it and I know there's far more bad out there but there is a little good. And I saw a preacher, I can't remember who it was, he posted something he said that he felt like that pastor appreciation and I'm not dwelling on that. He said he felt like pastor appreciation should be twofold that it should be a time the congregations appreciate their pastor, but it also should be a time when the pastor is renewed and made aware again of how good the Lord's been to them to give them the congregation. And if a pastor don't love his church, he has no business being there. And I know that's a bold statement, but I believe it's right. If there's no love there, then he, he, go, he needs to go somewhere else. And I'm going to tell you what the Lord's done for me. I pondered on that and the Lord began to stir in my heart about this Scripture. And I'm going to tell you what the Lord did for me. He let me look across the congregation of this church and see all these faces. Some of them are littler than others. But He let me see every one of them. Not just the little babies that are being carried in their mother's arms, but these that come and they run around outside and they play and they laugh and all that's fine and well. But I'm telling you, there's a great responsibility of what's going on, what God's entrusted us with. We cannot afford to follow or learn the ways of the heathen. It'll cost us things we'll never get back. And there's a lot of disagreement. People spin the story in the Gospels about the prodigal son. They say this and they say that. I'm not here to argue all that. I'm here to make this statement. 
Regardless of how you feel about what the prodigal was, where he was, the reality is this. He lost things in the far country that he never got back. I understand, thank God, that he had a father that loved him, that restored him to fellowship. He was still a son, but he wasted all his inheritance and he never ever got it back. I'm going to tell you this morning, thank God for a father that loves us and brings restoration. I'm glad for all that. But we better be careful playing with heathen practices, following the ungodly, following the unsaved. There will be things in this life that we may lose that we never can get back again. Never can get back again. There will be scars left on us that we wish we could undo. There's no taking them away. They're there permanently. Thank God for forgiveness. Thank God that God doesn't bring them back up. Thank God they're under the blood. But the reality is they'll leave scars that can never ever be taken away. Following the way of the heathen will bring destruction. It did for the people of God. God judged them. Brought destruction. He oppressed them. If we go to the book of Psalms and read... I believe that's talking about the time of the judges. It said they followed the way of the heathen and God delivered them into the hands of their enemies to afflict, to afflict and oppress them. And that's what they were doing in the book of Judges. They were following those heathen nations that were all around them in idolatry, in wickedness, in perversion. And so God brought wickedness upon them and judged them because of their sin. I'm going to tell you this morning, the Lord says to us, learn not the way of the heathen. Whatever part of that needs to apply to your life, all of it or any of it or one part, whatever God spoke to your heart about this morning, I preached pretty generally and I felt that's the way the Lord wanted me to, whether it's the superstition, whether it's the sin, whether it's the uh, uh, whether it's what we do, whether it's how we dress, whether it's our children, whatever it is. Lord, help us not to follow, learn the way of the heathen. We're in the last days. I believe that with all my heart. I think we're soon getting out of here. If there's ever a time, it's always been a time to be right, but if there's ever been a time to be right and to know that it counts, it's in these days we're living in. Times are running out. We're on the last lap of the race, the last leg of the race. God help us not to fail this close to the end. Father, I thank You, Lord, this morning the privilege and the opportunity, Lord, to be able to bow and call on Your name in prayer again. I'm glad, Lord, this morning that I'm saved and that I'm a part of the family of God. I thank You, Lord, for the opportunity and the privilege to